Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. All right, so let's look at Acts 10, 34 to 48. We're looking at the Apostle Peter preaching here the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom of God, to Cornelius, this Gentile, and his family and friends. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles in great power. And this is a historic moment. We've been seeing many of those with the conversion of Saul and Peter interacting with Cornelius, but this is one of those hinge moments in the whole book of Acts where the dam is breaking open and the Spirit of God isn't just touching Jews, but it's reaching out and touching people in Caesarea, Gentiles. So it's a historic moment. Something else I want you to think about here on the note of leading worship. This whole text is about declaring who Jesus is, And then the spirit falls. And so there's something in here for us as a church. If you want to see the spirit of God move, then you focus on Jesus. And you declare who he is. You talk about his incarnation, the fact that though he was in the form of God, he became man. And you talk about his life and ministry, that he was the friend of sinners and yet sinless at the same time. You get lost in the wonder of who he is. You talk about the physical, bodily death and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that God raised him up to his right hand and the spirit was poured out. These are the things that release the presence of God among us. Amen? So we're looking at it in preaching. Peter is preaching, but this goes for everything. In your small group, if you want the spirit of God to visit you, Then you open the scriptures and together you fix your attention on Jesus, who is the Son. So you're going to talk about the Father as well. And then he's anointed by the Spirit. And so before you know it, you're caught up in the wonder and mystery of the Holy Trinity. That is when the Spirit of God falls. Amen? So let's be thinking about that as we look at this text. And we do. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence here. We say that you... Open our minds and hearts. You're the teacher through the word of God, so we invite you to speak to us and to cause our hearts to burn with zeal and love and affection for the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Why don't we do this? It's a shorter passage. Why don't we stand up? We do this occasionally out of respect for God's word and maybe to wake up a little bit. Amanda and I were at the soccer fields early this morning, and Jake, uh, he's rolling his eyes at me. Sorry, Jake. But sometimes we just got to wake up a little bit, right? We were up super early and out in the rain, and they tied, and they're going to play in the final, right? So you can be praying for us. All right, back to the word. Point is, Amanda probably needs to stand up. So Acts 10, 34 (laughs) to 48. Then Peter began to speak to them, And he's talking to Cornelius and his family and the Gentiles, and he says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Then listen, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John had announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as a judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of God, friends. You can be seated. So we're looking at this passage here. Just a few moves in this. He introduces some thoughts here, and then he tells the story of Jesus. And then thirdly, the Spirit confirms that the Gentiles are actually embraced into the church at this moment. In his introduction, you look there at verse 34. Some of this language may seem a little bit strange to us, but it was important for them, and there's something important for us here. He starts off by saying, God is not partial. And if you remember back to the previous section, the Apostle Peter, who knew quite a bit, he knew the scriptures back and forward, but the Lord was teaching him new things about his plan of salvation for the Gentiles. They got the Jewish part down, right? But then he began to see new things in the scripture and the Lord began to speak to him and say it's been the plan from the beginning to, yes, include the Jews, Genesis 12, Abraham and Sarah, the beginning of that. But then all the nations, including all the Gentiles, were on the heart of God from the beginning. And so Peter is telling the people, God is not partial. Like the perfect judge that he is, there are no favorites. And so when God is bringing salvation to the earth, it includes everyone. And so this was heavy news for Peter and for the other Jewish Christians. But he goes on to say, look at verse 35. In every nation, anyone who is fearing God and doing right is in the view of God for salvation. Now we need to be clear here. Do you think that the text is saying that that's all you need? 
you fear God and you do right, and then you're a follower of Jesus by nature of that, and you're in the kingdom. Is that what the text is saying? No, that is not what the text is saying. We already saw in the previous section that Cornelius is like an example, a model. He is one of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who is on his way into the kingdom. He's called a God-fearer. Something has happened to him, and he no longer worships the Roman idols. He's pulled out of that, and he's on his way to fearing and knowing the God of Israel. And therefore, Peter says, he's going to know the Messiah of Israel as well. And these are people that the Lord welcomes, meaning that the gospel will come to them, the good news of Jesus, and that they will respond. Not that they're already saved. Are we clear on that? But it's they're on their way. So this is precisely who Peter is speaking to. The second thing we see here, and this is really the heart of the text, begins at verse 36. Peter telling the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus. Some scholars call this a micro-narrative. It's kind of a story within a story. It's a little mini-narrative within a broader narrative. The point of all that is the book of Acts over and over again tells the story of Jesus, tells the story of the message that God sent. Look at that at verse 36. He's making it clear that God sent this message. Look at it. You know the message that he, God, sent to the people of Israel. We've been saying that over and over again, haven't we? That the book of Acts really isn't about human initiative. It's really not even about humans going out and doing evangelism. It's about God. God has a mission, and he allows human beings to participate in it. He invites them to come and serve along with his king as he brings the reign and rule of God. And so this is God's message. This is God's mission, and he's letting them know that. And you say, you see right there from the beginning, God is preaching peace. God is bringing shalom, peace, well-being, fruitfulness through the person, the Lord Jesus. He's Lord of all. So he's saying that up front. If you want to know what I'm talking about, Peter says to the Gentiles, it's all summed up in this. Jesus is Lord. And they would have gotten it. We've talked about this in recent weeks and months, that that was an all-encompassing statement. It was a political statement. To say it in that hour was dangerous. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. There's no emperor that's Lord. Jesus is. And so if you want to know what it means to be with him in his kingdom, on the earth, and in the age to come, it means submitting to his lordship. It's glorious what he says here. And then look at what he begins to to say here at verse 37. This message about Jesus, about the lordship of Jesus, the kingdom of God, was sent through Jesus, through John the Baptist, and then the 12. Now there's something in here that a lot of modern folks would not necessarily want to hear about And that is that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Let me just get my place here for a moment. I'm getting so excited. You know, sometimes when you look down at your notes and you're like, man, I'm actually enjoying this and I'm lost. So just give me a moment here. I'm going to blame it on the soccer 
So this is the message that God sends, and he says there at verse 37, right in the middle of it, the baptism that John announces. So God is preaching the message. God is sending those who declare it. And really what the text is saying, now is the day of salvation. But friends, as Peter is saying here, the day of judgment will come. And he's saying God is Lord of all. This message is spreading through all the region. And then look at this. He kind of lays out a little summary, bless you, a little synopsis of the life of Jesus. And this is important. If you're a student of the Bible, if you're someone who wants to know more about Jesus, this is the kind of stuff you meditate on. This is the kind of stuff that you pray, that you declare out loud. Really, it's the essence of the creeds. Really, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are taking things from this apostolic preaching here, this message that is spreading. And look at the end of, uh, the beginning of verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And if you think back in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is baptized. He's baptized in obedience to the Father, baptized in order to identify with human beings. And he's anointed at that moment you remember the Spirit of God descends on him and people see it and the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But Peter's letting us know actually the importance of that moment. We don't talk about that a lot. The baptism of Jesus. The anointing of Jesus who was fully man and fully God. This is part of the apostolic gospel is pondering and proclaiming Things like this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Look at that. Verse 38. And again, that's underscoring his humanity. He's that guy, Jesus, the Nazarene. From a place like Detroit in his day. You know? And he's coming out of that place with great power and great anointing. A place that it's been challenging and rough to to grow up in. He is the anointed one. It refers back to Luke 4, 18 to 19. Some of you remember that passage. If you don't know it, you can write that down and go look at it. It's a moment when Jesus stands up in the temple. This is after his baptism, before he launches his public ministry, and he opens the scroll, and it's Isaiah 61, and he reads the scroll about the Spirit of the Lord being upon me to bring the gospel to the poor, to set the oppressed free, and to declare the favorable year of the Lord. And he says, Isaiah was prophesying about me. So friends, this is part of the essential apostolic gospel, the anointing, the baptism of Jesus. Now he makes clear, this is interesting, because he's going to go on and say what at the end of verse 38? Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This could slip right by us. What does it mean to do good? Does it mean that he's out, you know, just saying, hey, have a good day to people and being kind? No, no, no. The text is actually using language that would be used of a king, of a benevolent king who does good to his people. So Peter is saying in here, Jesus is a king. He is Lord, and he is doing good to the people. 
He's actually bringing the rule and reign of God and its goodness for the people. It's not just kind acts. But then look at what the text says. He is healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And we know that from the Gospels, don't we? It's chock full of him doing signs and wonders and miracles. But behind it, sometimes, is something demonic. And he's releasing that person. Sometimes the text doesn't say, but in Luke 13 and other places, it does say that certain healings, Jesus was setting someone free who was oppressed by the devil. Now, I guess it's true we could say all sickness, all sin, whatever is someone's mired in comes ultimately from the enemy. But there are certain instances like Luke 13 where Jesus heals the woman who's been crippled for 18 years and he says, The Lord has set this woman free from her oppression. So friends, Jesus is the anointed one. He goes around doing good. And he sets people free from the enemy. This is the Jesus we serve. And this text invites us into following Jesus as we're seeing. It's wonderful to see him as the anointed one the one who does good, the one who sets people free, but then the text invites us in, just like it did the early disciples, to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did. Do you believe that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus, comes on his church? Do you believe that you and I are anointed to go around as servants of the king and do good to people? to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and say, I am an instrument, I'm a vessel of the kingdom, and I'm here to bring goodness into your life, to pray for people. And then, friends, we are called to be agents of deliverance. The Lord wants us to set people free. Of course, he does it, but we have to speak up. We have to put hands on people. We have to pray for them. So this is true First and foremost of Jesus, but also with us. And then look at how that ends right before verse 39. This is the secret of it all. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He does these things, but then look at that last phrase. What's it say? God was with him. That's the secret. He was filled with the Father's presence and filled with the Father's love and anointed with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. And it's hard to believe at times, but Jesus turns to his followers and says, the same thing is true for you. The Father is with you, and I'm sending you out to take the gospel to all the nations. Okay, I am calling an audible here real quick. So let me just think. Why don't you come up here, Sam? This is a good moment to do this. He and I had talked this week about a story, and I'm just thinking his story fits. Share your story because it ties in with us. Um, hey, I'm Sam. So on Monday, I was going to get gas for my lawnmower. And while well, I pulled up to the uh, pump and got out, I saw this woman that was walking into the gas station. And she was in, and she had this walker with her, and she was kind of hunched over and stuff. I just felt the love of God just come into my heart for that woman. I just felt how much he cared for her. And I was like, 
I should pray for her. So I filled up my gas, put the pump back, got in my car and drove away. And <laughs> while I was in the same parking lot, almost about to turn out, I just felt him say, turn around, ask if you can pray for her, the worst she'll say is no. And so I was like, okay, fine. Uh, you win, God. So I pull up uh, on the other side of the pump from her, and I'm just like, all right, here we go. Turn off the car. I get out, and I just pop over the other side of the pump, and I'm like, can I pray for you? And uh, she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I, I saw you coming out of the the gas station, and I just felt the love of God for you. I was wondering if I could pray for you. And she was like, well, you can pray for my family. And having seen the walker that she was walking around with, I said, well, do you have any pain in your body? And she was like, I do. I have, I have pain in my hip. I've been dealing with it for about a decade. And um, so I said, well, let's, let's pray for your family, and let's, let's pray for this hip pain. So we started praying for her family, and um, actually got a, a word of knowledge uh, about um, a little crown of white flowers that were put together. Turns out she used to make these whenever she was young, and I saw that Jesus was putting that crown on top of her. Um, so we, we prayed for her family, prayed for the pain in her hip, and she started to feel what felt like icy hot on her thigh. And I was like, is the pain going away? She's like, no, but this is a sensation I've never felt before. I told her, that's the power of the Holy Spirit on you. Lord Jesus Christ is touching you right now. And I, and I just asked if we could pray into it a little bit more. And she felt, the, um, she felt it move up from her thigh to her hip, and her pain went down. It went from a nine to a five. And I said, well, if it can go from a nine to a five, it can go from a five to a zero. And we prayed again. And as we were praying, I got a, um, another word of knowledge about a strained relationship with another woman and her family. And we prayed for the trauma from that relationship to be broken off. As it did, she kind of yelped. Her pain went away. She was able to walk around without the walker. And I, and I said, hey, you know, through all this, Jesus has touched you. You have encountered the power and the presence of Jesus. You know, do you know Jesus as your Savior? She was like, I used to whenever I was young. And so I told her that whenever she saw herself as being young, Jesus still saw her as the same way. He's right there as close as she felt that in her physical body, he's right there with her. So she encountered the love and the presence of God and turned her heart back to him and got to experience his love for her. She asked me, are you an angel? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm just a normal Christian. I uh, I, I live a half mile down the road. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even a pastor or anything like that. I just love Jesus, and I want people to know how much he loves them. And um, I actually asked if I could share this testimony with our church because there's a lot of other kind of weird Christians like me out there, and she looked at me, and she said, stay weird. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So gas station ministry, 
right? There's an idea. I've, I chicken out in lots of places, but there's something safe about the gas station. I don't, I'm picturing Sam peeking around the pump. Hello, can I pray for you? She's like, I'm not sure if you're an angel or what you are. Uh, that, but friends, that really is the stuff of what we're talking about here. God's anointed Sam, and I guess we could ask his wife if he's really an angel, right? <laughs> and then we go out in the ordinary work of the day, and we share the love of God, and we get sweaty and a little bit nervous, and then it goes better than we think, right? So that lady will never forget that. I guarantee you she's going to walk away and process that for the rest of her life. That is just something she will never forget. So let's do more of that. Right? Can you give me just a few extra minutes here just so we can do justice to a few of these things before we move on in the text? We're looking at really the heart of the passage, the proclamation of salvation through faith in Jesus. God is with him. And then look at verse 39. We are witnesses to all that Jesus did in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He's using Old Testament language here because in Deuteronomy it says that anyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. There's rejection. And so Peter is saying there, he's already proclaiming the offensive message of the cross. He's saying that Jesus actually became a curse so that we could receive the blessing of God. He's preaching the atoning sacrifice of Jesus to these Gentiles here. He's educating them, and he's reminding everyone hearing that the message of the cross is a scandal. What do I mean by a scandal? It is offensive. It offends the human mind, and Peter is saying, and the Spirit of God inspired this and put it in this text, for all times so that we remember we have to share the word of the cross. In 2022 and beyond, our message is the message of the crucified, resurrected Jesus. His shed blood for sinners like you and me. It is the gospel. There's no way around it. You can do seeker-friendly. You can do all those things. But if you are not declaring the apostolic gospel of the cross, then you're really not doing Christianity. So friends, we really mean it. We don't just hang this big piece of wood back here, but we want to cling to the cross and invite Jesus through his spirit to actually crucify us so that he might live through us. This is the message that Jesus brought and that all his followers proclaim if they're going to be faithful and true to him and his word. Amen? And he says that all the prophets testify about this, that the prophets we saw back in Luke 24, that the very Old Testament preaches that the Messiah would suffer and that he would sprinkle the nations with his blood and that God would raise him up to be a light to the Gentiles. This is the message that God has been preaching from Genesis through Malachi and from Matthew to Revelation. Now, there's something in here we have to look at, right? Look at verse 40. God raised him up, so we've got the message of the cross. We've got the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. God raised him up through the Holy Spirit. And then look 
at verse 41. Actually, rewind a little bit. Um, I am just out of sorts. I'm so fired up. Sam's testimony, soccer, I am goodness gracious. There we are, 42. He commanded us to preach the gospel to the people and to testify. Now catch this. This is where it gets challenging for modern people. He is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. And this is actually a phrase that comes right into the Apostles' Creed. We declared it at baptism. Those people that were getting baptized declare their faith, and they declare their faith that Jesus is Lord and that he is the judge of the living and the dead. Now, friends, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus and to the scriptures, we have to bring this as part of the message. And really, it's sobering. So there are people out there who are as lost as can be, as lost as you and I were, in darkness, blinded to the gospel. And what they need to hear is that they will stand before the judge of the living and the dead. And that phrase means everyone who has lived and died and is buried, whether that's in a sunken ship at the bottom of the sea or they're vaporized in war, they will be resurrected and they will stand in their body before the judge, the most righteous judge there is. And they will, as Paul says, give account for their deeds in the body. No one escapes this. Money doesn't get you out of this. Political power doesn't get you out of this. Following the teachings of Machiavelli, who was the cleverest person there was, does not get you out of this. You and I and everyone else will stand before the great and glorious judge and give account for our deeds in the body. Is that sobering? That sobers the church, and we should meditate on that. And then it also is like a lightning bolt into the heart of lost people who don't want to hear that. They think, I am Lord of my life, and I'm not giving account to anybody. And we say, you know what? You will. You will give account. Now, the good thing is now is the day of salvation, so get in on it. Now is the day of grace, of mercy, And the blood of Jesus can save you and wash you and cleanse you and make you new, but you got to get in on it now. If not, and you die, you will give account. And that is not the day of salvation anymore. That is the day of judgment and discipline. That is the word of God, right? Are we faithful to that? Very sobering. So what happens here? The spirit falls. Look at verse 44, and we'll end with this. While he's still speaking, Peter is preaching. And he's like, man, this I'm in the good stuff, and all of a sudden the Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, interrupts his message and falls upon Cornelius and his family and his friends, and everyone gathered there, and they have a Gentile Pentecost. It's just like Acts 2, isn't it? The circumcised believers, faithful Jews, look at verse 45. They've come with Peter. There's six of them we're going to read in chapter 11. They're astounded. In other words, their jaws dropped. 
they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit just as we did back in chapter 2. The Spirit of God's being poured out on the non-Jews. And then look at verse 46. They begin to speak in tongues and praise God just like we saw in chapter 2, 1 to 10. The Spirit of God came on them. They were speaking other languages. They were declaring the mighty deeds of God. And now Peter has found himself in Pentecost 2.0 with the Gentiles. And then look at what he says, verse 47. Can anyone withhold water from these people? we got to baptize them now. They've been baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit. And now they need to be baptized and immersed into the Christian community. Now, If you're theologically minded, you're saying, whoa, the order here is out of sorts. It doesn't seem to follow the sequence that I'm aware of or that my religious tradition, the Lord does not like boxes. And the Lord says, if I want to pour my spirit out on people and then baptize them subsequent to that, that's how it's going to work. I think the book of Acts is a reminder to us that God touches whoever he wants whenever he wants, and he fills them with the Spirit, and he baptizes them and brings them into the church according to the order that he chooses. Let's stand up. Now, I'm saying this because you may be out doing ministry. Young people, you may find yourself sharing the gospel, the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You may find yourself with a bunch of pagans And the Holy Spirit may fall on them. And you're going, whoa, 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 this is not the order that I'm aware with my Baptist background or my Methodist background or my Nazarene background. So we open the book and we just say the point is they're being touched by the Holy Spirit. And then the invitation goes forward for faith in Christ and baptism into the church. Amen. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this word of Jesus. And we thank you that when we live it, when we share it, when we meditate on it, that the spirit moves in power. And that's what we want, Lord. We want to see more of what you were doing with and through Sam. Lord, we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon us and that we would be absolutely obsessed with the person of Jesus and that we would share him with people around us. And we pray in your mighty name, amen.